1972, a crack commando unit was sent to a liturgical prison by a canonical court for a crime they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a maximum security diocesan stockade to the ecclesial underground. Today, still wanted by the Vatican, they survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, then you should listen to Libra Cristo War College. Welcome to Wednesday War College. I'm waiting for Kyle Clement, our uh, instructor for the day from the Liber Christo War College, to log in. My name is Jesse Romero. What's that, Richard? My engineer's talking to me. Kyle is on. Welcome, Kyle. Welcome to War College Wednesday, my friend. Good morning, Jesse. It's nice to be with you. Hey, any comments about uh, last night? You know what last night reminds me of? It reminds me of... Uh, Ultimately, we have to remember, remember that as Catholics, Jesus Christ is the only solution. The social kingship of Christ is the only solution to, to the problems that we have and to the mess we're in. Uh, not politics, because politics will uh, let you down time and time again. You have any comments about last night, Kyle? I, um, I really don't, Jesse. I think that we give politics way too much place. I think your observation is exactly right. We need to return to theocracy. Um, it is only in theocracy that our political um, leaders, uh, government itself, all gears us uh, toward a unification of the temporal and the spiritual, the corporal and spiritual works of mercy, which militate toward the ultimate good, which is God. We see it time and time again. You're a scripture scholar. You know the sin cycle where Israel um, wanted a king, and God, uh, God very uh, justly gave them a guy who uh, who had just lost his asses. Um, he he was inept. He, but they wanted a king. They got a king. Um, and when, only when we follow God, uh, only when we follow Him totally and in a conformity of our will with His. Only then are we in, in, we're not vulnerable, we're impregnable, we're uh, unassailable uh, by the world, by the demon, uh, by all things that would come against him. But it has to be total conformity. Um, part-time, uh, part-time religion simply does not work. You know, you know what really uh, is something that people should tune into right now is Father Ripperger has 47 little five minute videos on communism and the diabolic. And it really, this is a time when people should sit down and really watch that. Because I'll tell you, as he describes communism, and the diabolic it's here in America right now, as he describes the, 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 the characteristics and the traits and uh, the attributes of demons. It's exactly like the culture of death party here in America right now. You're precisely right, and if you really want to look at politics, I think you have to look at it from a universal or cosmic level. Um, When Christendom was at its greatest, when Christianity was at its greatest, the Catholic Church uh, coronated the rulers, the temporal rulers. There was a unification of altar and crown. There was this unification. What militates against that unification since 1417, uh, 1470, uh, and then codified in 1717 is Freemasonry. Understand that one world government is a false theocracy. 
Uh, it makes uh, the God or the idol, the state, and the ultimate controller, Satan. And so this is what the battle is about. This is a, it's, it's very significant. But anyone who's speaking about one world government, the constructs of one world government, international accords, treaties, etc., that would give away the rights of the individual, um, you're, you're dealing with constructs of Freemasonry, which is Luciferianism. And there is no, this is becoming more and more obvious. And so for all their posturing about preservation of democracy and preservation of government and these things, the one world government proponents are instruments of, of evil, and they are instruments of Freemasonry, which is synonymous with evil. Kyle, before we get into the book, Deliverance Prayers for the Lady, I want to jump on page 38. I have another question to ask you. Uh since you've been involved in the ministry of exorcism for many years as a layperson, as a, as a, somebody who was involved in a team, my question is, I know it was Pope Benedict, may have been before him, he's the one that asked all the bishops around the world uh, that they should have the ministry of exorcism in their diocese. And I know, I know for a fact, because I came from Los Angeles, there were six uh, uh, sub-dioceses within the archdiocese, or six regions, should I say. And I know not every region had an exorcist, and I know uh, in, in many parts of the country uh, that I go and give lectures, a lot of people tell me, yeah, I went to the diocese and stuff, and I had these issues, and they say, no, we don't have an exorcist uh, in the ministry of exorcism in this diocese. So I know that we don't have that ministry in every operating in every diocese in the U.S. So my question to you, just from, you know, from, from in-the-field experience, um, does an exorcist in the diocese afford some protection a layer of protection for the diocese for the lay people there uh or is or is his office irrelevant uh or 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 and can i ask also is the removal of an exorcist from a diocese and having no exorcist at all uh does that remove a layer of protection from the lay people in that diocese i know it's kind of a macro question but what do you think well, it is a macro question, but it's a very important question. It's a multi-layered question. Uh, it's complex, but not complicated. And so let's talk about it. Um, the first pope that was adamant about there being an exorcist in every diocese was actually Pope Leo XIII in the late 1800s. And it's part of what he talks about, uh, mentions it in uh, Eternus Patris, and what he recognized was there was a shift, a theolog there was a shift among uh, theologians even then, just starting to be a shift to discard the philosophy and psychology of, of St. Thomas Aquinas for modern secular concepts which diminish the demon. That's happening right before the turn of, of the 1900s. Pope Leo XIII picks up on it. He, in, in fact, mentions this in three separate encyclicals. Paul VI actually mentioned this. When you hear Paul VI's statement, the smoke of Satan has entered the church, it was his realization um, that Satan was active and there needed to be a response, um, a direct response, a, a church response, an ecclesial response based upon scripture, based upon history, based upon tradition. The 1614 right by St. Charles Borromeo started being suppressed in 55 through Bogmini's uh, rev, uh, revision of liturgy and de deformation of liturgy. So they started taking the weapons away. They started changing the battlefield 100 years before 
um, what we were Vatican II's implementation. Incidentally, Vatican II dictated that all documents be all liturgies, rituals, etc., be rewritten. The last of the fo- formal rituals to be written at the directive of Vatican II was the rite of exorcism. And the new rite was only promulgated three years ago in its final mm-hmm. form. So that's how long it was suppressed. It was not engaged in uh, formally. Uh, but uh, Pope John Paul II reiterated that every diocese needed an active exorcist. Now, active is a word that's inserted there. And then Pope Benedict picks this up and Pope Benedict picks it up from the sense that all um, Catholics, no matter what diocese they are in, should have access to an active exorcist. So you see the movement, you, you, you see the development of, of this, these papal statements. But de facto, every, ex, every diocese has an exorcist. The bishop. The word, the word is active. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Got it. And so the, the word is active. Now, the, the diocese, the exorcist that every diocese has is their bishop. It is part of his episcopal duty, charge, title, obligation to be the exorcist, to expel Satan from his geographical boundaries. It is that simple. In the, in the spiritual realm, the bishop, the apostle, is seen as the prince of the church within a geographical area. He is the steward. He is the keeper. He is the distributor of sacramental grace and the, and the, the deposit of the faith within that geographical area. He's responsible for the defense of the faith, the promulgation of the faith, and the expulsion of Satan from those boundaries. That is his charge. That is his job. Not to sit at the USCCB and opine on political matters. You, you see how far we've gotten from what a bishop is charged to do, not what he should be, what he's literally charged to do in his office. So when you have a bishop, now what the bishop usually does, according to Canon 1172, is he delegates the office of exorcism and he creates a stable office of exorcism, naming a mature, spiritually mature presbyter, uh, of good rep- reputation, a priest to discharge this office. That is what is normally done. It's done through two methods. One is mandate. One is ad octum, meaning a case-by-case basis. On a mandate, the exorcist, uh, the priest is named and has some degree of autonomy to uh, administer cases. But the bishop is kept aware. Where we see, and in multiple, over 30 dioceses in the United States that have stable offices of exorcism, the bishop is made aware of each case on a name-by-name basis, even when he has a mandated exorcist. And these good bishops, these bishops who are taking serious their charge and their obligations, pray for these individuals in uh, all during the time of their, their case. I've been in solemn session where bishops have attended. I've been in solemn session where the bishop wasn't in physical attendance, but was before the Blessed Sacrament praying for the liberation of this particular individual. These are very, very powerful things that make the church very real. Now, modernly, what's happening... Kyle, hold that thought, my friend. Hold, hold that thought. Hard break. We'll be right back with Kyle Clement, Jess Romero, Wednesday War College. All things spiritual warfare. Stick around.
Wednesday war college, Jess Romero, Kyle Clement, the day after the elections. Uh, once again, the Catholic Church is a supernatural organism given to us by God. The, the, the government is a natural organism. And the church was put here as a pillar and foundation of truth to be the moral conscience of government. But that hasn't happened uh, so well uh, in, in this country and in the West in the last couple of decades. We've got Kyle Clement here, and, and it's, I asked him a macro question. He's giving me a macro answer, which is good, because that's what I wanted, about what does the ministry of exorcism afford a diocese? The question, does it afford lay Catholics some protection? And I, and obviously the answer is yes, but it comes from the office of the bishop. Uh, Kyle, is there anything else you want to add to that? That's a pretty complete answer. So you're, you're basically saying, yes, of course the office of exorcist affords lay people uh, some protection, uh, especially when, uh, once again, it's uh, it's uh, it's instituted and backed up by the bishop, right? Precisely. I'd just like to pinpoint in, kind of like focusing in a mic- on a microscope to the uh, and and finish up this good question, this good uh, opportunity. Um, so each bishop is charged as it's one of his duties to be the exorcist uh, within the diocese. And there are many other duties and obligations that he has, but it, it is to battle Satan in, in all his forms within a geographical area. And like all fathers, he has to be home to do that. So when he is, whenever he is away, uh, there's a certain vulnerability to the household. There's a certain loss of integrity. Also, with regard to the individual bishop, First, uh, First Timothy 3 has some very poignant language about he who would aspire to be bishop and the ordering of his own household. Um, currently, what we're seeing, especially under this current pontificate, is that individuals with viewpoints and individual agendas and thoughts and political aspirations are being elevated to the episcopacy to, to being bishops, and this is a vulnerability. This is a huge vulnerability. We're going to see it in the short term. We're also going to see it for the next 30 to 40 years as these individuals age out. Um, so hang on, buckle your seatbelt. It's a rough ride. It's going to get worse before it gets better because the the bishops um, are, are where the weak spot is in the current uh, battlefront, the battle array. Vietnam was a good example. What we found in, in Vietnam is we began to lose field engagements through the ineptness of the second lieutenant, that particular rank. We found that formation was lacking, experience was lacking. There were, they were defective in many areas, um, and they, they fell in large numbers, but sadly they fell uh, with their troops, and in some cases um, even fragging. Um, they were killed by their own men because they were leading their own men into certain death. And so once that starts happening, and we're seeing it bishop against bishop, priest, um, currently, right now, there was a survey that about 60% of the priests in the United States do not trust uh, their own bishop. And so this is a very, very um, telling thing uh, about the office of exorcism and the battle against Satan within an area. But if you want to see what a bishop needs to be, all you have to do is track the grace. Look at places where families, devout families, are moving for the sake of their faith. Look at the number of confirmations. Look at the number of baptisms. Look at the numbers and incidences of an increase in sacramental grace within a geographical area and where the church is growing. Pay attention, uh, clerics and, and the hierarchy of the church. 
the souls will go to where they they will, are being fed, where they're receiving grace. And it's only under adequate and direct, positive male leadership in the episcopacy that this is being achieved. A, a, a more complete answer I could not have asked for. Thanks a lot, Kyle. Uh, I mean, it's 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 clear. It is crystal clear. Uh, the the protection, the spiritual protection that the office of exorcism affords, especially through a a bishop that's uh, directly involved. Let me ask you a question. On page 38, uh, you had your hand in this book, Deliverance Prayers for Use by the Lady. A lot of people have this book around the country, and uh, they are they are very excited about uh, these shows that you do on Wednesday when you explain the prayers. Uh, I would like for you to explain the prayer on page 38, short-form deliverance prayer. Uh, when is it used? Is it an imprecatory prayer? And, and let me ask you one thing also. I think... I responded to somebody the other day and I copied you and you liked the answer because this is this is what I'm getting from the whole book. Tell me if I'm right. To me, the book seems to be a patriarchal prayer book written for men. Yes, women can use it with their husband's permission or alongside their husband. But to me, it's uh, uh, listening to you talk in the last eight sessions of doing this. It seems to be a patriarchal prayer book on spiritual warfare uh, that should be used primarily by the husband. Is that, uh, am I, am I saying too much or am I tracking in the right direction? No, you're definitely tracking in the right direction, but even more generally and, and broadly applied war is a masculine pursuit. Okay. Very simply war is a masculine pursuit. War involves direct conflict. It involves violence. It involves um, damage. It involves tearing things up. It involves uh, direct conflict, physical contact. The feminine um, soul, the, the, the feminine person, the, the woman, is geared toward life and procreation of life, preservation of life. This is one of the reasons that abortion has such a, a huge, deep, profound spiritual effect, uh, because it's against her very nature. And so, and this is why women simply do not function in combat. Um, and we're starting to see a withdrawal from this practice. But war is a man's pursuit, um, the raising of warriors. The preservation and formation of men, proper formation, is that of women. Um, I think that you look back at the Spartans and you see that um, the the mother, uh, the Spartan mother, very much had the warrior mindset. Now, mm -hmm. it's taken beyond moderation, of course, but it's the understanding that modernly uh, women should raise saints, uh, whether they be boys or girls. But right ordered um, formation is so missing uh, modernly, but in the short warfare of any kind uh, is a male pursuit. Yeah. Kyle, and I ask you this question because I get, I get a lot of these questions and I'm sure you do too as well. And Dan, uh, you'll have a, a woman who's had a conversion back to the faith. She's practicing her faith. She lives in a state of grace. You know, she's got a strong, dedicated prayer life and a sacramental life. Something's happening with the kids at home. There's some type of diabolical affliction. The father's checked out. The husband's kind of checked out spiritually. You know, he's a secular humanist. And the email will read something like this. Jesse, in Father Ripperger's books, what what prayer can I pray, uh, you know, to repair the damage in my home? But that's basically 
the construct. That's basically the narrative that they give me. My husband's a faithless, secular humanist. My kids are are dabbling in in the occult and other mortal sin. Uh, I've had a conversion at a Crucio retreat five, ten years ago. Uh, what prayers from Father Ripperger's book can I use to to you know repair this damage? And so, the the the, the what you're saying here is once again, there's just a disorder in the marital construct. This is why it's happening. Until the man takes his rightful place, uh, the kids are going to continue getting retaliated, correct? Well, that's precisely right. Um, the demon is going to attack the defenseless or those with less opportunity to defend. And you're exactly right. It, it has to be the protection. I, I give the analogy that, um, you know, a man hears a sound uh, in the night and at three o'clock in the morning, he's in his boxer shorts at the top of the stairs with a ball bat ready to defend, to defend his castle. And, and while that's a noble response, the, the better response constantly is to work on his purity, his sanctity, uh, to pray prayers of blessing and protection, because those are most effective by the mail. When I will get 40 to 60 emails a week, which I answer, um, not the, that's not the total number of emails, but there's 40 or 60 answers a week I send out that start with, have your husband contact us to begin this process. <laughs> Uh, because the SMD we found over the years and through thousands of cases, we simply do not um, work through uh, the woman because it's a disordered authority uh, within the household. The prayers of a father over his children are much, much more powerful. They're more effective. The prayers of a father and a husband over his house and for his marriage, that's where the authority structure has to be restored. And this is why exactly why it makes sense to me why the devil uh, and, uh, you know, the this unbelieving world, uh, you know, that's uh, dominated by by uh, preternatural forces. This is why they go after the men. This is why they go after males, because if they can take out the St. Joseph from the house, the house is unprotected, so to speak. Uh, And so, you know, all these sins against you know the sixth and ninth commandment they militate specifically they go after the man and again once they take a man out of the house the family's unprotected correct well that's absolutely right and they can even gain entryway into the house what a man doesn't realize is at two o'clock in the morning when you fire up that computer you can't sleep you go downstairs you fire up the computer you start looking at pornographic images you have just done two things. One, you've joined a confraternity with every other individual who is looking at the same images. So mm-hmm. suddenly you're now part of a worldwide or universal um, perverted confraternity. Number wow. two, you've allowed those spirits in that disposition into your house. You have just opened the door. Um, it is as if someone in in, um, in a very safe neighborhood could open their door directly into the roughest neighborhood um, and and just leave the door open. I can't stress this enough. Your daughters will begin to behave differently when those spirits are trafficking in the house. Why? Because you will start looking at them differently. You won't perceive it, but you will. And this is how pornography starts. Um, and it's not the only sin. Gossip in women has much the same effect. When you start talking, when women start talking badly about their husbands or about uh, other men, uh, their sons are listening to this. And so 
anytime we participate in these activities in our house, we are literally letting the wolves in among the lambs. Wow. Wednesday, we're calling Jess Romero, Kyle Clement. Hey, Kyle, on the next segment, uh, take a look at uh, page 38, short form deliverance, and the next one, prayer of deliverance, and give us kind of the theology behind those two prayers. Are they imprecatory, deprecatory? Who can pray them? Uh, when they when should they be prayed? And uh, you had mentioned that uh, the prayers, are, are these, does this fall into the sparring prayers? Because you had mentioned that uh, we have boot camp prayers, we have sparring prayers, and I think the other one that you mentioned I'm looking at here, you have um, uh, precious blood prayers, boot camp prayers, and sparring prayers. So on page 38, looking at short form deliverance, and the one beneath it, prayer of deliverance, if you can kind of give us the theology of those prayers, are they imprecatory, deprecatory, and do they fall under, once again, do they fall under uh, sparring prayers? Uh, well, wait, ah, hard break. Wednesday War College. I know you guys love this show, and I have Kyle on, instructor for Liber Cristo. Under the auspices of Father Chad Ripperger, we'll be right back. Stick around. Revely, it's time to wake up and stand up for Jesus. And it's time for us to onward and upward, Christian soldier. We got Kyle Clement, Jess Romero, Wednesday War College. So, Kyle, the short form deliverance prayer, very powerful here on page 38. Maybe you may want to read some of it and give us the theology of that prayer. Uh, who should use it? Okay. Is it imprecatory or deprecatory? It is uh, the short answer to your to the latter question. It is imprecatory. We'll we'll discuss that in just a moment. Um, it is imprecatory, but there's a setting of the stage, and this is one of the things that's very very important. If you ever watched the movie Braveheart, if you ever watched um, uh, any of the uh, ancient warfare, um, there was posturing that was done before that really kind of set the tone of the battle. Uh, the bagpipes. Um, you can imagine being on a fog uh, in Shroud's battlefield. Uh, it's silent. And then suddenly at your left, bagpipes. Suddenly at your right, bagpipes. Suddenly in front of you, bagpipes. And these are not your bagpipes. And so this, uh, this huge disruptive noise, um, immediately you start running through your mind all the battles that the Scots have won, all of the times that you have been defeated, etc., this is what's going through the demon's mind when you intone in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of his cross, his blood, his resurrection. And so those three images, um, what you're doing is you are absolutely uh, calling the demon out. This is the stare down. This is the um, this is the, the look of you. I will win this. Uh, it is the intonation of the name at which every knee shall bend and every head shall bow. And then the three images, his cross, his blood, his resurrection. These are three very poignant images of sacrificial theology that are absolutely kryptonite to the demon. They absolutely render him powerless. You've, you've landed the first punch. 
So these are, uh, this is a battle prayer. And, and when you invoke this, and then what follows is I bind you, Satan, the spirits, powers, and forces of darkness. So there's the imprecatory language. I bind you. Preparatory in the name of and by this imagery, I bind you. So this is a clear indication that the person praying this is in a position of authority. This is a prayer of sovereignty. And so um, he is exerting his authority to well, it's do a, it's this a, it's prayer. A patriarchal without, prayer. It's absolutely a patriarchal prayer. To do this prayer without authority uh, really opens you up because as the fog lifts, um, and there are three tape recorders that are playing the bagpipes, not a thousand pipers who are armed. It's a whole different thing. And so once the fog lifts and the demon gets over the shock and he realizes, oh, this is just one little guy with a megaphone. There's no, there's no real authority here. Um, he's going to take you to the woodshed. So you have to have the authority to pray in this way. Um, how, how, what are the... What are the three weapons within this prayer that you mentioned? You said the blood. What else did you mention? Okay, his cross, the his instrument cross, of his torture. That's right. His blood, meaning meaning the totality of his sacrifice and his resurrection. Got this it. is his restoration by God the Father in response to the sacrifice. That makes sense. And the demon wow. will have a the demon will have avoided any type of suffering. He certainly will have not given his blood, and he encourages you not to suffer and you not to give your blood, you not to be sacrificial. If he encourages you in the first two and you deny the first two, you will not participate in the resurrection. Got it. Let me ask you a question here, because this is this is a big question that Dan and myself always get, and we always go to you, obviously. Um, I, I understand the nature of these prayers are patriarchal, because when I read Scripture— You'll find that it's only men in the scriptures that do uh, uh, what's called, uh, yeah, imprecatory prayers. You'll find it's only done by males in the Old and the New Testament. And so, but a lot of women ask, they'll, they'll, they'll ask, you know, can I do this prayer? And, you know, I'll tell them what, basically what you instructed me by way of tradition and scripture. Ask your priest. As, as it says in the link on exilionchristianorm.org, or ask your husband, or, or pray it alongside your husband, but your husband has to lead. Uh, if Now, let's say the husband's dead, or they're divorced, or they're separated, or the woman's single. She lives by herself, not with her mom and dad. Can a single woman, if she's feeling some type of diabolical affliction, can she pray that prayer for herself? If she's got her own apartment, she's living a clean life, living in a state of grace. Uh, but she has no no husband, uh, no father that figure there. Can she pray this prayer, or would would it be better for her to have recourse to the prayers of again petition, supplication, like the like the Holy Rosary, the Angelus, the Divine Mercy, Saint Bridget of Sweden? Would that be better for women to do safer, or she's by herself? Can she do this prayer for herself? A great question, uh, Jesse. So the woman who makes the uh, election, and some women do not make the election, but let's talk about the scenario where a woman makes the election to live uh, on her own by herself. Then in, in a temporal sense, she realizes that she's living uh, in an unprotected uh, household. 
meaning there's no man of the house in the house. So just in a temporal discussion, that decision to live alone is a way different decision if it's made uh, in Beverly Hills or if it's made in Watts. Um, it's a really, it's a big difference. You are in law enforcement, you know there are places and neighborhoods where it is simply a matter of time if a woman chooses to live alone uh, before she's assaulted. Yep. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Uh-huh. 100%. And, and so it really has to do with what activities the woman is engaging in, who are her friends, what is she doing, who is she seeing, not only socially, but spiritually. Um, but I'll tell you that a woman who lives alone and is acting um, in, in any kind of capacity in spiritual warfare, and if she's outside authority, that is the worst possible neighborhood for she, for her to be in. It's as if she lives there with no locks on the doors or maybe no doors at all. Wow. Um, when she, it, it, it's, I can't express how vulnerable uh, she is in that in that situation. Now, if she's living in a, in a protected neighborhood, she's minding her business, doing what she should. Let's say she's abandoned by a husband. Um, she's living a life of widowhood. Um, there are certain protections if she stays within her lane, within her boundaries. She watches herself. She goes grocery shopping early in the morning, not at 2 o'clock in the morning. She goes uh, in the daylight. She watches her activities. And so the same spiritual Prudence is, is necessary for protection. Invariably, when women become uh, fall under, quote, spiritual attack, it's because they've stepped outside of their state of life and whatever protection may be afforded them uh, by that state of life. Now, that having been said, that's going to fall hard on the modern ear, but you're in law enforcement. You know that most victims, there is an element of um, either distraction um, they're not paying attention. There's not a situational awareness. Um, it, it's amazing to watch people um, in the world. They, they are basically uh, selectively ignorant of what's going on around them. And so the same thing can happen spiritually. So, Kyle, now no, this is a more common scenario. Let's just say, again, uh, the woman has had a conversion through, again, some type of uh, encounter with Christ, uh, again, through a cursi or some or or, the, or axe retreat or something, the man is still unconverted, and the kids are living sinful lives. And she picks up Father Ripper's prayer book, and says, "I'm going to start doing these deliverance prayers over my kids every night because my husband's a deadbeat." What's the danger of the woman doing that? The converted woman. So the danger. Under, of the one, yeah, yeah. The danger, the direct danger there is the elevation of the children over the husband. Every bit of grace is going to come in that marriage through spousal union and mm. spousal commitment. And so when she elevates motherhood over being wife, uh, and when she elevates the welfare of the children over the welfare of her husband's spiritual welfare, now we've got a disorder that the demon will exploit. Wow, that that's just, uh, my brain just popped right now that you said that, that grace comes into the family through spousal union. Right, not not through just one converted spouse and the other one's unconverted. So I'm gonna I'm the female, so I'm gonna I'm gonna usurp my husband's authority and bring in the grace of God into my house. No, it comes in through the sacrament of matrimony, but through the husband, and uh, and and obviously, it's like you said, that's just a disorder, and demons know that, correct? That's correct, and they will in fact drive that disorder to further impede the flow of grace through the vocation. Wow. 
What about the next prayer? What can you say about the next prayer underneath it? Or if you want to finish off that prayer, it's got a lot of it, it, a lot of uh, spiritual warfare language. If you want to just uh, yeah, yeah, I do uh, because there's this this prayer has four parts, okay. and so the first part, if if you will, is the pipers, um, and and then the the setting of the stage, the telling of your enemy, I've beat you before, uh, but I beat you in the name of Christ, who will always beat you, who has always beat you, and then this I take authority. So this word take. The Protestants misuse this particular thing, the, the prayer to take authority. Catholics do not take that which is not theirs. You may not take authority. Um, take here means exercise, so it's a de- declaration of sovereignty. I take authority, meaning I exert, I exercise, I uh, move within my authority over all. Now, this is a specific thing, all curses, hexes, demonic activity, and spells directed against me. So now you're looking at, you've just brought in the element, though it's not clearly stated, that some other human actor is sending this against you. Did you pick up on that? Yes, yes. And so when you've got another human actor, now we've added another layer of free will against me, my relationships, ministry, airspace, finances, and the work of my hands. And I break them by the power and authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you're breaking the curse. Hold so, that thought. Good stuff. Good stuff. Hold that thought, my friend. Hard break. Just Romero, Kyle okay. Clement, Wednesday War College. We'll be right back. Stick around. Real, real good stuff. Wednesday War College, Jess Romero, Kyle Clement. We're talking about short-form deliverance prayer. Kyle is uh, is uh, unpacking this for us and giving us all the nuances of this prayer and when it could be used, how it's used, and who can use it. Kyle, you were talking about uh, the section on uh, breaking them off by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. Continue. So the demon is the agent of the curse, hex, spell, etc., sent by uh, or commissioned by another individual to work in specific areas. And so by that second language, um, I break them by the power and authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, imprecatory language intoning Jesus. I bind all demonic interaction, interplay, and communications between spirits sent against me and send them directly to Jesus Christ for him to deal with as he wills. So now we've effectively broken um, the curse. The the patriarch, the head of the house, the husband, uh, the father has broken uh, the curse. And so this is very effective. Anytime a family member has brought something into the household, this is effective against, for instance, um, use of Harry Potter or other imagery, uh, spells, hexes, curses. Um, it It's very useful in... Uh, cultures and households which have uh, syncretism or uh, things that are using elements not consistent with our Catholic faith, such as uh, botanicus or curandero or or whatever we may be, they may be using, limpias, but this is is directly against that. So when the father finds evidence of this, 
Um, he destroys the evidence. He prays this prayer. And now very, very important is this third part of the prayer. Because in order for a curse, a hex, a spell, any of this to be effective, there has to be a defect in the Ephesians 6 defense. There has to be a chink in the armor, so to speak. So this question speaks to it, and it says, um, I ask forgiveness for. So isn't that interesting that we we call the pipers, um, we, we vanquish the enemy, and then immediately we're saying, I ask forgiveness for and denounce all negative inner vows that I have made with the enemy and ask that Jesus Christ release me from these vows and from any bondage they may have held in me. And so it's this admission that there was psychological compatibility to some extent. There was something that allowed the enemy to be present. There was something that allowed uh, the curse to penetrate. And you're, you're asking for the Lord um, to, to um, address those um, forgiveness uh, for, for the sin that makes me vulnerable to the curse, the sin uh, that makes me vulnerable or my household vulnerable, any lack, any omission, whatever I may have done to create this vulnerability or to to um, uh, make this this uh, this thing ha have effect. Then the fourth part. Now the defense. I claim the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Again, this is the uh, intoning of sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice. Anytime we're talking about the blood of Jesus, it is um, that it is indicative and symbolic and realistic, realistically represents that which most humans can't do and that which no demon can do, which is give, of, give their very lifeblood for our Lord. Uh, the son of the living God, oh, again, sacrificial imagery over every aspect of my life for my protection. I pray all these things in the precious name of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this prayer starts with the intonation of Jesus Christ, and it ends with the intonation of Jesus Christ. And we are bound to all that lies between it, as well as the demons. You better be in conformity with what this prayer says. You, you, if If you're saying... I want to break this curse and I want to break any uh, vow that makes me vulnerable. And then in the next breath, you wish your daughter-in-law ill or your sister-in-law or your aunt or whoever that is, then this has been for naught. And the demon will literally laugh at you and come spank you for this. Um, you, you've got to walk the walk. You've got to talk the talk. There's got to be this consistency. Yeah, I, I can see that these are, these are, <clears throat> prayers that have a high flash radius it's like uh you know it's like taking a pin out of a grenade you better throw it don't hold it in your hand forever <clears throat> you've got to throw it but you've got to do everything with safety you got to, you you have to know how to do it safely and these prayers if they're not done safely uh you can make the you can exacerbate your spiritual problems correct you're absolutely right Jesse it's a good observation it's an accurate observation so what would you say? Give me a little bit of theology on the on the prayer beneath in the last couple of minutes. Uh, uh, the prayer of deliverance, it's on the bottom. I've seen that prayer, Father Gabriel Amorth, rest in peace. I know he, he used to really promote this prayer as well. What can you tell us about this prayer? And so in this prayer, this, this is a deprecatory form. It's another form of, of deliverance, but it's deprecatory. And again, we're ripe with imagery 
Some of the most poignant imagery um, is uh, imagery of what looks like a diabolical victory, with it, which is, in fact, uh, a righteous victory. And so it intones, uh, first of all, mercy. It's a request for mercy. Almighty and uh, um, our Lord, King of ages, ancient of days, King of ages. This, this is very uh, hard for the demon to hear. Uh, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. In the beginning was the Word. Any of these things that uh, flash the Lord's name across the cosmos, across the eons, across the ages, this is particularly difficult for the demon to hear because there is no place in all the universe that he can go and hide, that he does not uh, encounter the countenance of God. Um, Lord of mercy, our God, our Lord, King of all ages, all-powerful and almighty, very, very hard for the demon to hear, because he wants you to think that he, in fact, is on a par with God. Mm. Thou who hast made everything and who has transformed everything simply by thy will. And so this phrase, in the, there's a phrase in, in exorcism, ex nihilo, he who created you, ex nihilo, he who made you out of nothing. And the demon is is so very, very, so very hard for him to hear that. Um, it's also hard for us to hear on Ash Wednesday when it says, man, you're ashes and to ashes you will return or dirt to dirt, ashes to ashes. Um, you know, when, when you're looking at, well, you don't know who I am. I'm president of this company. I'm this, I'm that. Uh, no, you're dirt. And so, <laughs> and, mm. and ultimately that's, uh, that's what you're going to return to. That's a very sobering thing. Um, and then I, this imagery is very, very, very powerful. Now who in Babylon changed into dew the flames of the seven times hotter furnace and protected and saved the three holy children. And so this was a scene that is seems to be absolute victory by the demon. Absolute victory. But what happens? First of all, the scene. Babylon is a place of sin. It's not the promised land. It's not where these children are supposed to be. So even in a foreign land, even in a place of sin, even at facing certain death, no place in the universe is exempt from God's holy hand, God's holy presence. And he changes into do the seven times hotter furnace. And so the instrument which was to kill those children, if you remember, ends up killing their executioners. And so it, it's a, a another recounting of God's victory, God's ultimate victory over whatever the demon can construct, whatever the demon can come up with. God is more powerful, and so that's that's just the preamble. Hmm. He goes on. They, the, the prayer goes on. Thou art the doctor and physician of our souls. Thou art the salvation of those who return to thee. That statement. Thou art the salvation of those who turn to thee. You are really taking it to the demon here. It's as if his hands are bound and you're just you're flailing away at him hmm. just with imagery. Um, and you're making presence through present through projection all of these victories of God. Ah, so that's what prayer does. You just you just answered a question I was gonna ask you. So prayer makes makes the words present to the demon by projection, right? Right. And that's what causes him pain, because as you're projecting these words, he gets this image of God and his kingship and, and the Ancient of Days, and that image causes his, because they're, they're, they're intellectual, they're, I mean, they have their intellectual beings, it causes their intellect pain, right? The pain of sense, what, what could we say? 
That's precisely right. Um, from a metaphysical standpoint, it has always been the proclamation of truth which ex exercises or expels the demon because he cannot be in the presence of truth, truth in all its forms, Jesus Christ, most poignant. The first exorcism, uh, which defined as the expulsion of a diabolical entity from, from a holy place, um, is Michael, who makes the, the statement of absolute truth, who can compare to God? And then the demon has to leave in the presence of this, this statement, because there is no argument, there's no rebuttal, there's no who can compare to God. It's, a, it's the definitive statement of, the, of God's sovereignty. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, prayer makes the image present to the demon, demon projection. That's why all, that's why all prayer... Uh, again, is, is is painful to the diabolical because it makes what you're praying for present to his intellect, correct? Correct. Now, I said something in that sentence. Uh, exorcism is, is defined as the expulsion of the demon from a holy place. And so the human who is possessed must get holy, must attain a state of grace, must be desiring God. There must be an indwelling or at least a presence of the Holy Spirit in order for the demon to be expelled and to stay gone. That was part of that imagery in the prayer, previous prayer, was begging for forgiveness. Return me to a state of grace so that I may defend this house. Mm. Kyle, we got about one more minute. What's, what's uh, happening in the life of Kyle right now? What are you up to right now in terms of apostolic work so people could get involved with you? So we're um, two-thirds of the way through a book study, um, The Ways of Mental Prayer by um, Father uh, Lahoti. Um, but I would encourage you to go to the website www.liberchristo.org and www.montecristo.net to find out about all that we're doing, all of the things that are happening. Uh, there are some new video postings. There's a YouTube channel that has some of Father's stuff, some of my stuff, some of Dan's stuff, some of Jesse's stuff, and, and uh, just good things. Exhaust those resources. Um, and then the only other thing I want you to, to think about is uh, Father Ripperger does exorcist training uh, once one time a year for a small group of priests. It's a very intense training, but they come out of there uh, as functional exorcists. And so we have some priests in third world countries, some international priests who want to attend that, but they lack the funding to do so. And so there's an opportunity to sponsor priests through this exorcist training. Um, and the exchange, the coin of the realm uh, in this in this ministry is prayer. And so to have an exorcist priest who would remember you in prayer as a, as a benefactor, I think has a has a quite a value. Amen. But Kyle, you can you can go a, to Monte Cristo for details. That's a wrap, my friend. We'll see you next time. God bless you. Keep the faith. <laughs>